Hi there, and welcome to the Wayback Music Machine podcast, the show that takes a lighthearted look at the week that was in rock and roll history. I'm Tony Stewart. I'm Aaron Badgley. And we are on road trip number 59. This is a big one, Aaron, for a variety of reasons, but I, I thought today we could do an all Elvis show, just all Elvis all the time. What do you think? Well, I think it's a good idea because it's a nice way to celebrate your big day today. And I want everyone to know that as of today, Tony Stewart is retired. So this is kind of my gift to you as well to talk all things Elvis. Oh, well, that sounds fantastic. And you know what? Yes, Tony left the building actually about an hour ago. So <laughs> I am very, very freshly retired, but uh, it feels great. And um uh, well, you know what? I'm looking forward to some serious Elvis chat. We've got four great stories here. So are you ready to get started? I'm ready and raring to go and rocking. All right, let's do it. We'll be back with some great talk about the king of rock and roll. So Tony, I have to ask you, like, We've been talking about your impending retirement. Mine's coming up at the end of September. How does it feel? Is it feeling? Has it hit you yet? It hasn't really hit me yet. I mean, obviously, you know, I did the goodbyes um, and I said goodbye to my band room of many, many, many years uh, and did the rounds at school, but it hasn't really hit me yet. I think it'll hit me more over the next few days. But people have been asking me, you know, what are your plans for your first day of retirement? And I said, I have no idea. I've got no plans and I'm not going to make any. I'm just going to do whatever happens, happens, you know. How how nice is that to say, right? Just kind of get up and, and greet the day and move on, right? Well, it's exactly right. I don't want to be planning that at all. So, um, yeah, it, it will sink in in a few days, and, and you'll know exactly what I mean when yours hits at the end of September. But it's uh, it's surreal because I've known for a long time, uh, all year, that this is going to be my last year of teaching, but it's finally here. And it's like, wow, <laughs> what happened to the time, I, you know? I think it's going to feel to me like doing 150 on the 401 and then coming to a screeching halt. <laughs> exactly yeah. right. Exactly right. So we're going to start today with a big story. And this is one, you know, the, the movie actually do, uh, devoted quite a bit of time to this story, to this event. Well, let's, let's talk about the movie for a second, Tony, because you yeah. saw the new movie that just came out on Friday. I haven't seen it yet. And it's number one at the box office. Elvis Presley's number one again. Yeah, absolutely. And I would recommend anybody who's an Elvis fan or anybody who's not, go <clears> see it. Uh, you will learn something about the king for sure. Um, Elvis hated the nickname, the King, by the way, uh, but, um, you will learn something about Elvis for sure. And they do a brilliant job of showing just how unique he was, uh, especially when he first appeared on the scene. Nobody knew what to do with this guy because he was doing something that was a mishmash of all different styles, you know, uh, black music with a bit of a country feel sometimes to it and nobody knew how to react and how to deal with the fact that the girls were screaming and it was just so new and what a special time that must have been it's exciting and i mean the, the music was part of it and then the image and oh. just it must have been an incredible time to be 
to say I was there at the Louisiana Hayride or I saw him, you know, anytime you saw him. And he's just, he must have been great to see live. And um, speaking of comebacks, I'm not going to say that the movie being number one is a comeback. However, it's, I think it's going to cause a resurgence in Elvis this summer. Um, I think, as you said before we were talking, it's long overdue. I think Elvis needs to be rediscovered, you know? I do as well, because my fear, and I've said it many times, is I don't want to see Elvis turned into a Halloween costume. And I also don't, I, I can't stand all this, you know, when you try to put woke, and I'm using air brackets for people, if you because you can't see this, this woke nonsense about Elvis being a cultural appropriator. I mean, it just drives me nuts. Um, so the movie pays really does a really nice job of paying homage to his, his roots and where he grew up and his affinity for black music. And, and it's lovely and uh, go see it is all I can say. So in 1968 on June 27th, Elvis I, I again, I don't know if this is so much a comeback because he never really went anywhere. His his, his records are still selling in the sixties. He had, you know, twenty eight very popular films that were breaking breaking box office records. But he came back on TV with the the famous comeback special, right? And yeah. um, you know, yeah, he came back on TV. It was actually originally supposed to be a Christmas special. Colonel Tom Parker. Uh, wanted it to be a Christmas special. And that was his plan. It was going to be originally Elvis getting up there singing 25 Christmas songs or something on network TV. Elvis hated the idea and worked uh, behind Colonel Tom's back uh, to do his own thing, to do what he wanted to do. And the result was nothing short of brilliant, but they recorded this uh, in June and it was going to be supposed to be aired at Christmas time. So they recorded it on June 27th, 1968, and it was at NBC uh, TV, and it later got called the comeback special, but like I said, originally supposed to be Christmas. Uh, a, a mostly female audience in there, and I think you've seen the images. It's such a such a unique setup, right? That little square with the fans right beside them. It must have been amazing. Yeah, it was, and... and- you know the the song selections. I mean, he's you know he's wearing his black leathers again, and he's, you know, he's really. I guess that's the comeback, right? Is that he he kind of went back to his roots, and we're not necessarily roots, but the rockability. Because let's face it, the the, the the movies he wasn't doing rock and roll per se. No, um, more pop, more pop. But this special was pretty fantastic. You've seen it, right? Oh yeah, I've seen it uh, beginning to end. It's fantastic, and. It was his chance, you know, he hadn't been on stage, what, for almost nine years at that point? Or it yeah, was, it he was, was a very really nervous. long time. And he was very, very nervous about this. But he felt like he was at a point where he had to rediscover himself. He was getting really sick of the movies that he was making. He wanted to be a dramatic actor, not just, you know, Elvis Presley singing some songs in a movie, basically playing the same role in a bunch of different settings. And he was always disappointed with that in his movies and he felt like he needed to get back to his roots and he did this TV special. And again, if in the Elvis movie, they, they really talk about this, how he had to go behind Colonel Tom's back and the network people were really upset at first, uh, that he wasn't doing Christmas songs, you know, and, uh, but it turned out to be a fantastic show. And actually it was the most watched show that year, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, I think I think people were just waiting for Elvis to to 
put down the uh, the movie stardom thing and get pick up his guitar, which he did. And uh, you know, you talk about the dramatic roles. He he would do a drum a dramatic role after this special. He started a movie called Charo, a western, where he didn't sing one song in the entire film. But this was a chance for him to kind of tap back into his rockabilly, rock roots, and and you know, it was good to see the girls screaming again and. You know, he, I know that he was very nervous before the show started, but when you see him performing, he is having the time of his life. Oh, absolutely. And uh, Scotty Moore is up there with him. Bill Black, unfortunately, passed away in 1965, so uh, he couldn't be up there. But Scotty's up there with him. And, and uh, you know, just the chance to reconnect and make that music that was so special to them 10 years earlier, or, you know, actually be 14 years earlier. Uh, when they first recorded that's all right mama a fantastic show and really showcased how talented elvis was he shocked a lot of people on that special well he shocked people and what's really funny to me is you know he was how old was he when he did it he was um late 20s you know he was really young and people are like oh he's too old to do this stuff and i'm thinking paul mccartney just headlined glastonbury and broke a record for being the oldest solo performer headlining Glastonbury, and he's 80. And you that got I mean? great reviews too, didn't it, Paul's performance? I heard about that. Well, yeah. Um, fantastic reviews. I, I mean, it. it um, I don't know if you've seen any clips from it. We're not going to talk too much about Paul McCartney, but Bruce Springsteen joined him on stage, David Grohl. Mm-hmm. He does a duet with John Lennon, you know. Yeah, amazing, amazing. But uh, yeah, Elvis is special. You know, back to Elvis is special. Just a chance for him to let loose and do the music that he loved and a chance to showcase that he actually could play the guitar. It wasn't just a prop. And interestingly enough, the, 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 the thing was filmed for TV. And of course there was a soundtrack released. And the first single from that was if I can dream, which made number 12 on the singles charts, which may not seem like a lot, but it sold 800,000 copies, almost a million copies. And it didn't even break top 10. So this was a big deal. This was a big deal. So come back, Elvis. Welcome back, Elvis. Whatever you want to say, he was back. Absolutely. And, you know, that was a, a controversial choice, uh, if I can dream, because it's a protest song. And um, Tom Parker's whole thing with Elvis was stay out of politics, stay out of religion, just be an entertainer. But Elvis thought he had to make a statement about um, what was going on in the world in 1968 because what a turbulent year that was i think we could do an entire show about tom parker and some of his while he did great for elvis he also had questionable choices decisions yeah and the movie really deals with that and uh you you learn some insight into just why elvis got signed to las vegas uh in the first place and why he ended up staying there for so long it's very sad i'm not gonna i don't want to spoil it for people but the it it really is tragic what happened and how manipulative uh, tom parker was in the background yeah, it's well, I look forward to seeing it. I've read the books, and so I'm looking forward to seeing it kind of dramatized. Yeah, it's it's wonderful. Uh, so let's take a look at the charts, though, that week. We're talking June the 27th, 1968, and uh, what was on there? I went with a different chart this time, Tony, just for fun. You know, because we're having kind of a special episode, so I thought I'd do something special. And this time I picked, you know, like this, the top five jukebox plays in the U.S. of A., so Billboard would actually see what songs are played the most in jukeboxes for that week. 
So it's not radio and it's not sales. It's just what kids were listening to in, in, in diners, right? You remember jukeboxes? Yes, yes. Love them. So number five was Hugh Montenegro with the good, the bad, and the ugly. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> number four is one of my least favorite songs of all time. I'm sorry if you like it. I apologize. Bobby Goldsboro, Honey. Oh, I can't stand it either. So, uh, it's just so some of the worst and cheesiest rhymes ever. Yep. Um, number three is a single that I had as a as a five year old and and just ate it up. I loved it. It's Ohio Express, yummy, yummy, yummy. Was that I a pun? Ate tummy. it up, yummy, 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 or what? Did see, see, this is what I've learned from you. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is. This is all you, Tony. This is all your fault. <laughs> Number two, um, a song that Homer Simpson performed in one of the flashback episodes of The Simpsons, Archie Bells and the Drells and Tighten Up. Now, I, what, a, one, what a weird band name. Sorry to interrupt there, but oh, like, what did they do? They sat there and said, Bells, what well, rhymes with bells? And they just went through <laughs> the, like, Drells. That is, like, what is a Drell? I don't know. They couldn't come up with well or I guess not hell, but I mean, it's, 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 yeah, Drell is, um, and does it need to rhyme? It could have been Archie Bell and the, yeah. you know, the five lunatics or something, but yeah. uh, tighten up. That's a great song, by the way. And number one, I know it's one of your favorites, Simon and Garfunkel, Mrs. Robinson. Yep. Great song. And that, that is a, a really interesting chart. <laughs> it's fun. It's fun chart, fun chart. Now, we are going to go to June the 28th, 2016, and we're going to be talking a little bit more about Elvis Presley's original guitar player, Scotty Moore. So we'll take a break, and we'll be right back. So here we are. It's June the 28th, 2016. We've fast-forwarded quite a bit. And we're going to be talking about Scotty Moore. He was Elvis Presley's original guitar player, uh, and he passed away on that day at his home in Nashville, and he was 84 years old. He had been in poor health, and he, and he finally passed away. But uh, no Scotty Moore, probably no Elvis Presley, wouldn't you say? He was pivotal in the Elvis Presley sound. And, and, and Elvis knew it because when you kind of go further in and when they had their bit of a, a fight, Elvis knew he needed Scotty Moore and he needed Bill Black as well. I mean, yeah. they, they really, they were a band. Oh, for sure. And that's exactly right. Like Sam Phillips decided, you know, he was going to give Elvis a chance here. And, and um, he paired him with Scotty Moore, who was quite a bit more experienced, uh, and so was Bill Black than Elvis was. And it wasn't looking good at first, you know, it wasn't going that well. And then they had that magical moment when they recorded That's All Right, Mama. And and that's one of those rock and roll mythological moments, isn't it? There's so many. And and if you look at Scotty Moore, it is a, it is a rock and roll mythical moment. It's one of those moments that if you could be a fly on the wall, just have been there when they hit upon it. But but you have to realize, too, that Scotty Moore influenced, he did more than just form Elvis's sound. You read Keith Richards when he says, you know, that, um, and I mean, let's face it, Keith Richards is no slouch when it comes to guitar. And he said, when I first heard Heartbreak Hotel, I knew what I wanted to do in life. It was as plain as day. All I wanted to do in the world was to be able to play and sound like Scotty Moore did. 
everyone wanted to be Elvis, but I wanted to be Scotty. Oh, that's <laughs> a fantastic quote. And Heartbreak Hotel, again, we've talked about this before, but has got to be the most unusual choice uh, to be a number one song, doesn't it? It's, it's yeah, so, it shouldn't have been number one. Yeah, it's, it's a fabulous song. It's one of my favorites because it, it is so different than everything else that was coming out at the time. I can't think of anything uh, that was like Heartbreak Hotel at the time. Nothing. I mean, it was so different. It was, it was, it was just, it was morbid in some ways. And I mean, I love the production on that song. It's just, and I don't think anyone could reproduce that production. No, they had that, uh, that special reverb effect that they had when they were recording in sun studios. And, uh, by the way, I mean, we've got to get down to sun and, uh, and Graceland next year. Tony, that's our, our 2023 road trip. We are going maybe even in the in the spring or like late winter, you know, when the weather's okay to drive. I got to go to Sun Studios. I got to see Graceland. Yeah, gotta me go. too. Yeah, Cynthia's on board as well. So we've got to make so that So is Andrea. Yeah, that, Tony. Yeah. In, in the film, do they deal with the whole breakup of the band at all or no? Not really. No, it's, it's glossed over because mm-hmm. that was uh, a bit controversial as well. I mean, obviously, as soon as Elvis's star started to shine a little brighter uh, he had his salary just undergo a huge rise and uh, but scotty and bill black were basically living off a hundred dollars a week at the time so it, it created a lot of tension i mean they understood that yes elvis is going to get paid a lot more than we are but they i think they felt that they they should have been paid more especially once the film started right yeah, and I think, you know, they, they say that the colonel had a lot to do with this, that, that he was, you know, he started denying them access to Elvis directly. Yeah. And, um, I mean, again, one of those decisions that the colonel made that was a stupid one because Elvis needed these two guys. They helped him form a sound, right? Well, that's exactly. And, you know, Elvis just listened at that point in his career, and, and you do see this in the film, he blindly followed what uh his manager wanted. So if Colonel Tom said, uh, do this, or you need to work with new people, Elvis just listened. And, and it, you, you see it in the, in the film. Parker was a puppet master, just pulling the strings and very selfish, Tom, very selfish. Tom like Hanks, that. a bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. Very <laughs> interesting casting choice, but, um, he's, he comes across as a sleazy guy, you know, who was, he was using Elvis for his own ends for especially again, not to spoil it, but in the Vegas years, boy, how sad. The thing is with when he did split from Elvis temporarily, but they got back together again and, and uh, he was paid a higher rate of money, but he also did stuff on his own. He made his own records. He produced Thomas Wayne, who was Thomas Wayne Perkins, who was the brother of Johnny Cash's guitarist, Luther Perkins, no relation to Carl, just saying. Um, but he uh, he was one of those guys that he stuck. He was very loyal to Elvis. At the same time, he was mad, but he held this loyalty to Elvis Presley, right? So, but Tony, I mean, you, you talk about the. I mean, I've listed here ten essential songs of Elvis Presley or Scotty Moore playing guitar, and I don't think anyone else could play the guitars like Steve, but like Scotty, you know. Yeah, his style is instantly recognizable, isn't it? But uh, why don't you go over that list of 10 songs? So these are 10 essential songs uh, featuring Scotty Moore on guitar. 
Yeah, I typically only do five, but I thought this was important, so I went ten. And a number ten is your favorite. That's all right. You were talking about it earlier. Yeah, and it's it's my favorite because of the historical significance. Yeah, yeah. Number nine, good rockin' tonight. Another classic guitar work. Number eight, baby, let's play house. Seven, one of my favorites, mystery train, yeah, an that, overlooked complete gem. Yeah, it is. That is a gem for sure. Number six, heartbreak hotel. Number five, Blue Suede Shoes. These are iconic songs. Number four, Jailhouse Rock. Now, the top three are his solo stuff. Number three is his song called Have Guitar, Will Travel. Number two is Thomas Wayne Perkins' Tragedy. And number one is his version of Mean Woman Blues. So there you go, folks. And I've included all of those songs in the Spotify playlist. Oh, that'll be excellent. I can't wait to hear that one. So... We're going to play a little commercial uh, featuring Elvis in his early days, and then we'll be right back. So we'll see you soon. Hold just a second, Tom. Folks, this is Elvis Preston. I'd like to take this time out for music to tell you that you're listening to the, to the number one request show in East Texas, Tom Perlman's Hillbilly Hit Parade. Thanks a lot, Elvis. That's right, right here at good old KSIJ, Gladewater, Texas. So, Tony, we're going to jump to 56 now. We're going to go back in time. July 1st, Canada Day. But we're not talking about Canada. We're going to talk about Elvis. And uh, at the time, one of the top-rated TV shows um, that he is a guest on, Steve Allen's show. But the show doesn't go off quite as he planned, right? No, not at all. And uh, Steve Allen, this is a pretty unclassy move, in my opinion. But uh, why don't you tell us what happened? So, and you can see the clip several places, but it's basically Elvis is dressed up in a tuxedo and he is singing hound dog to a hound dog who's also dressed in a tuxedo with a top hat. Um, I guess it's a basset hound. Also in the show, he Elvis is, does a like a parody of country music television with Andy Griffith, um, which is just kind of it's awkward, but not as bad as singing hound dog to a dog. And this is Steve Allen's idea of a sense of something funny. And it, it's not funny. Like it, it's, um, well, you said Elvis was in the film. It's portrayed that Elvis was mad. Elvis was really upset by this, right? Yeah, he absolutely was. And this was again, uh, Colonel Tom Parker's influence as well, because, uh, he felt like the Elvis mania was getting out of control and that if they didn't do something to clean up the image that, Elvis's career might be over or he'd end up in jail, if you can believe that. That's how upset people were by what he was doing on stage. And so Steve Allen knew that uh, to get him on the show, he he insisted that Elvis would have to be doing a much cleaner act and that Colonel Tom Parker agreed. And then he came up with this ridiculous idea to have him sing uh, to the Basset Hound. And Elvis looks uncomfortable in the performance. He He's a professional, you know, and he works with it and he is respectful while it's going on. But afterwards, he was furious. And, and, and like you said, in the movie, boy, they show that he is just livid afterwards. But what's interesting is not only was Elvis livid after doing the performance, he was slaughtered by some critics on TV critics. So John Crosby, he basically called the performance unspeakable untalented and vulgar young entertainer i don't know that's a bit harsh on steve allen don't you think (laughs) (laughs) 
but you know, it was this whole idea that this is the new Elvis, the clean Elvis, the sanitized version. And uh, of course, Elvis did end up rebelling against that, thankfully. But uh, what a what a sad event. And because Hound Dog is not a clean, safe sound song. You know, it was first recorded by Big Mama Thornton in 1952, and she had a hit with it. And then Elvis in 56 uh, had a had an even bigger hit with it. And if you listen to the lyrics, I mean, it is not a happy-go-lucky, feel-good song. No, it's it's a, it's a blues song. Um, again, going back to what we said earlier, Elvis was combining a heck of a bunch of genres to create this new sound, rock and roll. And in this particular case, he took an old blues song, threw in some country, some rockabilly, and he came up with this infectious version of Hound Dog. And we're going to talk about it in our next segment. But I mean, it's a it's a one of many pivotal moments in. in Presley's career that was a pivotal moment in rock and roll history and you know what Aaron since we're going to be talking about it in our next segment I'm going to wait to get up on a soapbox okay but I do have a little soapbox moment that I I I need to get something off my chest in the next segment so is that okay well I might beat you to it but yeah that's fine (laughs) (laughs) I I think you know where I'm going with this but oh I do I do yeah um Anyway, let's go over your chart, though, because you took a look. We've got uh, the Billboard Top 5 Albums uh, for this week in 1956. And w- what's on there? Well, what's, again, it's that interesting chart where you have rock and roll making its kicking down the door, you know? Number five is the soundtrack to Carousel. It's a, not a rock album by any stretch. <laughs> <laughs> Number four is the original cast recording of My Fair Lady. Yeah. Number three, Frank Sinatra, Songs for Swingin' Lovers. Great album, great yeah, album title, great album cover. album, yeah. Yeah. Just, speaking of great album covers, uh, Belafonte by Harry Belafonte, that weird green. It's, I, but as a kid, my mom had the album. I kept thinking they could have picked any other color as a background. Yeah. <laughs> and number one, the most one of the most iconic album covers of all time, and one of the most iconic albums of all time, Elvis Presley. His yeah. debut album. Yeah, his Number debut one. with RCA, right? Mm-hmm. His debut album on RCA, and it, it was huge. A huge, huge album. And I can just see that cover in my head. What, what an iconic cover, and imitated many times, actually. So, Clash imitated it, right? Yeah, that's right. Now, what, yeah. do you, what do you say we take a break, and we'll be t- back to talk about the song Hound Dog, and uh, I'll have my chance to get a few things off my chest and I'm sure you will too so we'll be right back so Tony we just talked about pivotal moments and one of them is the release and recording I should say of Hound Dog July 2nd 1956 Elvis records Hound Dog at RCA Studios in New York Take 31 is the one that ends up being released as the single. Um, it's the first time he records with the Jordanaires, who would later go on to record with Ringo Starr. Just saying. I had to get the Beatles in somehow. The single sold over 10 million copies globally and became his best-selling song and topped the pop charts for 11 weeks. Oh, it's amazing. Amazing. But not only did it top the pop charts, it topped the country R&B charts as well. So it was number one on almost all the charts on Billboard that week, you know? And that just goes to show you what was going on in music at that time. You know, this, 
I mean, rock and roll was emerging, but it was certainly still a blend of country music and blues. And yeah, it's very, very cool that it was on all those charts. So Tony, here's the other thing about this song. I'm going to do my rant and then I'll let you rant, okay? Yes. In 2004, I think, is this where you're going to talk about? Uh, possibly. I'll, I'll wait to see where you're going first here. Okay. So in 2004, Rolling Stone magazine listed it at number 19 as one of the 500 greatest songs of all time. 2021, when they revised the list, it's not even on the top 500. Oh, that's not where How I was going to go, but that's a, that's an interesting... Wow, that's it's not. No, it's not. It's 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 completely gone off the top five hundred. Is that for political correctness reasons? Because that's where I'm going to be going in a second. Well, but. do you remember when they redid the top albums and top singles, and they, you know, the Beatles slipped from number one to number thirty-eight with Pepper, but they had to put, you know, on a good album, um, Marvin Gaye at number one, but they also had to put in Kanye West and Drake, and uh, yes. so I think. Elvis's song, because of the fact that Big Mama Thornton was the originator, I think they saw it as appropriation, that he was covering a black artist, and they just took it out of the top 500 altogether. Okay, so thank you for that lead-in, because that's what I'm going to talk about <laughs> right now. It drives, You're welcome, my friend. You're welcome. <laughs> it drives me crazy when people start going on, you know, especially people who have no idea going on about Elvis Presley being a cultural appropriator, because first of all, folks, get your facts straight. Okay. Yes. The song was originally recorded by Big Mama Thornton and it was a hit, but newsflash, it was written by two white guys, two Jewish white guys, one from Baltimore, Maryland, and one from Long Island. So Jerry Lieber and Mike Stoller wrote the song. So first of all, you know, there's, there's a big misconception that Big Mama Thornton wrote this song and that Elvis Presley stole it. Well, that's absolute nonsense. Second thing is Elvis was steeped in black culture his entire life. And he, in fact, grew up uh, in the black section of Tupelo, Mississippi. His family was so poor that there were three homes in the black section, three white homes. You know, stop trying to put modern sensibilities on the life of someone who was a true originator and, and to write off Elvis Presley as, Oh, he's just a cultural appropriator is ridiculous. Elvis was a singular talent who black musicians at the time admired greatly as well. You know, you listen to BB King talk about how he just had nothing but admiration for Elvis Presley, how he could sing, could play the guitar. He was good looking. Like he had it all. And, and, and that's what a lot of, black artists felt at the time you know they didn't it what didn't matter that elvis was white or it, it was he was a fantastic artist and he did well on the race record charts at the time as well i mean it, it drives me nuts and i'm sorry i took so long to rant about that but please stop well it's sad that we have to differentiate like it's really sad that you know because if um you know aretha franklin recording let it be is quite astounding it's a lovely version. It takes nothing away from the Beatles. And it's okay for her to sing the song because it's it's a song. It's not a white or black issue. It's a song that Aretha Franklin, you know, adapts to her own style and that as it should be. And she does a, a killer version of Let It Be or Ray Charles with the Long and Winding Road. Yeah, exactly. Michael Coyle. Michael Coyle said that Hound Dog is not a cover. It's it's he it's uh Elvis's 
actually usurped the original. Now, Elvis disagreed with that. Elvis said Big Mama Thornton's was better than his, but it's it's a matter of taste, Tony, right? Like, I might like, um, you know, well, I can't think of an example right now, but okay, I like the Beatles' Twist and Shout. Great song. Some other people prefer the original by the Isley Brothers. Yeah, Fair enough. Exactly. Fair enough. And you know what? Is Musicians borrow from each other all the time. That has been going on as long as people have been making music. And, and that's what we do. You know, I'm a musician. I play, I'm a jazz musician. I play African-American music all the time because, you know, because I'm up there playing Miles Davis, uh, a tune like four or something like uh, Freddie the Freeloader. Does that mean I'm a cultural appropriator? No. That, and that's a ridiculous assumption. It People borrow music all the time. You know, and I, I wish stop categorizing artists and stop, stop trying to, it just stop. That That's all I've got to say. And I'm sure the people who are listening to the show aren't the ones making ridiculous assertions like that, but I just wish it would stop and we could appreciate Elvis for, for who he was. Well, when you talk about music being used and, and copied or influenced, the Elvis at Jailhouse Rock, the guitar intro was copped, according to Scotty Moore, he just stole it from a 1940s swing version of the Anvil Chorus. Yeah. And so, you know, there's your point. Yeah, and it's what musicians do, right? I hear a, a lick uh, that a jazz musician does, let's say, on an album, and I learn it. And then I incorporate it into a solo uh, at my next show, right? What's wrong? That that happens all the time. And, and we don't have to be painting everybody with this brush that you're evil because you have done something that somebody, oh gosh. Anyway, I, you know, but let's move on. Now, did you pick a chart for this one? I did. And I went with the top five billboard singles of, of the week oh. uh, that Hound Dog was recorded. Uh, and I, it's a, <laughs> now I'm going to switch gears here, but number five is Elvis Presley, Heartbreak Hotel. Number four, it, now here is a guy that did not understand the music he was singing. He was singing it purely for thy money. And I got to tell you, Tony, the best uh, song title he ever did, Pat Boone, I Almost Lost My Mind. <laughs> yeah, you know, and now, now I think you could make the argument, you're right, Pat Boone did it purely for money right that yeah. that's that's a totally different situation than what was going on with Elvis Presley can you can you tell i'm angry about this sorry no not at all not one little bit no no well i could go on my diatribe about pat boom but but i'll leave that for another time i just thought it was a funny title i want to oh. take the word almost i just i lost my that's mind right. <laughs> number 3 have you ever heard pat boone do crazy train oh yes yeah yeah it's frightening keeps me up at night <laughs> number three is the four lads standing on the corner now were they any relation to the uh the five neat guys do you remember that sketch from <laughs> sctv <laughs> all their songs about picnics <laughs> you know where are the five neat guys we need to do a resurgence of the five neat guys and the schmangy brothers that's right all right sorry to interrupt there so what was number two oh it's fine <laughs> number two is morris stoloff with moon glow and the flip side being the theme from Picnic. Okay. okay. And number one, I love this name. I just love this name. Googie Grant. <laughs> with, I just want to say that all the time. Like, hey, have you heard of Googie Grant? Um, number one is Googie Grant's Wayward Wind. And that was the top five. And if you can imagine, for those of you who know any of those songs other than Heartbreak Hotel, 
you're talking about very much middle of the road, very laid back music. And then to hear Hound Dog would have been revolutionary. Yeah, for sure. You know, the, the, um, Teenage boy in me hears a title like Wayward Wind, and I think, oh, man, is that a song about flatulence, you know? but <laughs> Yeah, you know, I went there too, Tony. I was waiting for you because this is why we get along so well. Yeah, we set the bar pretty low on this show in terms of that stuff. <laughs> you know, sometimes we do, but sometimes we do. And, and um, sometimes when I'm in meetings, I'll think of you and me, and I think, I know that Tony would say something here, but then I have to stifle myself. But there you go. <laughs> well, you know what? Um this has been a terrific uh, road trip and uh, a nice way to celebrate my retirement by talking about Mr. Presley. Uh, I, I'd love to do that all the time. But I think next week we'll be back to the regular road trip, but this has been an absolute blast. It has been fun, and I and maybe by next week I'll have seen the movie so I can I can jaw a bit about that. But uh, you know what, Tony? It, it, it's my way of saying um, a very small congratulations to you, and if I was closer to you i'll take you out for dinner tonight but uh that'll come that'll come but congratulations well thank you very much and you know what folks as always uh the music for today's show was uh, written by rick denis and we'd like to take the opportunity to thank you once again for being loyal listeners and everything you do to support the show whether that's something as simple as sharing a post or commenting or telling a friend uh, that's the biggest thing you know word of mouth i think is the best way to spread all the goodness that we offer to you every week. So Aaron, uh, when the man is really getting you down, what should you do? It just keep rocking because that's basically it. See you next time, folks. <laughs>